The content you're about to listen to may include segments of animal cruelty. Welcome to Moonlight Road, a podcast that goes deep into the Bad News Canal's investigation. For the past of the while, our group has been conducting research to get a better understanding of the investigation. This podcast will tell you the entire story of how NFL star Michael Vick ran a dogfighting ring on his Virginia property, 1915 Moonlight Road. Today's episode will go over some of the horrors of the Michael Vick dogfighting ring and the training that prevailed. Deep within the heart of Michael Vick's Virginia property, a sinister underworld thrived in the shadows. A despicable dogfighting ring that echoed with cries of innocent animals. Vic, once held as a formidable NFL quarterback, had fallen from grace to coming to a life of cruelty and moral decay. His sprawling estate, once a symbol of achievement, had transformed into a gruesome arena of suffering. Within the confines of this dark domain, Vic and his cohorts employed a range of barbaric methods to train the dogs for combat. The aim was to forge formidable warriors out of these vulnerable creatures. Tragically, this involved subjecting the dogs to unimaginable torment. In the quest to instill unwavering aggression, the dogs were submerged in water, their lungs desperate for air, only to be pulled back to the service at the last possible moment. This callous act left the animals gasping for breath, their spirits teetering on their sheer drop of despair. The dogfighting ring, however, was not a solitary pursuit. Vic surrounded him with a network of like-minded individuals, equally complex in the torment inflicted upon these innocent animals. They revealed in the dark ecstasy of the cruel enterprise, meticulously planning and organizing clandestine fights. In these grim spectacles, loyal and loving companions were reduced to savagery, tearing each other apart while a bloodthirsty crowd looked on with sick fascination. The involvement of Vic's associates was an essential cog in the machinery of this heart-wrenching operation. They facilitated the fights, carefully selecting opponents, and orchestrating the entire grim spectacle. Their hands were tainted with the blood of countless animals, their souls corrupted by an insatiable lust for power and control. Within the realm of Michael Vick's Virginia property, a sinister chapter in the Annals of Animal Cruelty unfolded, a chilling testament to the deaths to which a once-admired figure could sink. The methods employed to train dogs for dogfighting were not simply cruel, but a damning indictment of humanity's capacity for wickedness. The involvement of Vic's associates revealed a dark brotherhood, united by their malevolent desires. It serves as a stark reminder that behind the facade of fame and success, the seeds of darkness can take root, corroding the soul and leading individuals astray. The story of Michael Vick's dogfighting ring stands as a haunting testament to the need for compassion, empathy, and the pursuit of justice for those who cannot speak for themselves. In the harrowing world of the Bad News Canal's investigation, a multitude of innocent canine souls found themselves trapped in a web of cruelty and despair. These dogs, victims of Michael Vick's dogfighting ring, bore witness to unspeakable horrors and endured unimaginable suffering at the hands of their human tormentors. Among the dogs that emerged from the darkness were names that would forever be etched in the annals of resilience and survival. One such dog was Lucas, a stocky and muscular fellow whose scars bore testament to a life married by brutality. Lucas, once forced to fight for his very own survival, had managed to retain a glimmer of trust in the face of unyielding cruelty. 
His spirit, though battered, refused to be extinguished, serving as a beacon of hope for the countless others who shared his light. Another survivor was Zippy, a gentle soul with a weathered face and eyes that held a deep well of sorrow. Zippy, despite his history of abuse, clung to an innate desire for love and companionship. His resilience and forgiving nature shone through, offering a poignant reminder of the capacity for redemption, even in the face of unimaginable adversity. Then there was Ginger, a once fierce fighter who had been robbed of her innocence. Ginger with her battle-scarred body were the mass of countless battles fought under the watchful eyes of her captors. Yet beneath her hardened exterior, there lay a heart longing for affection, craving a world free from pain and torment. These dogs, along with others like them, were symbols of the indomitable spirit that resides within every living creature. Despite the unspeakable cruelties that they had to endure, they clung to hope and resilience, a testament to the innate goodness that lies at the core of every living being. Their stories served as a reminder that even in the darkest of times, there is the potential for healing and redemption. Their survival and eventual rescue offered a glimmer of light in a world costumed by darkness. These dogs, forever touched by the horrors they had endured, became ambassadors for the fight against animal cruelty, inspiring a movement for change and compassion. In the aftermath of the Bad News Canal's investigation, the dog stories would ripple through the collective consciousness, urging society to reevaluate our treatment of animals. Their journey from the depths of despair to a life of love and care serves as a powerful reminder of the re-silence of the K-9 spirit and the transformative power of compassion. On the day of the first raid on the Banyas Canals, Michael Vick, the central figure in the dark world of dogfighting, was conspicuously absent from the property that bore the marks of his cruel activities. While law enforcement officials and animal welfare organizations meticulously unraveled the gruesome secrets hidden within the canals, Vic, perhaps aware of the imminent reckoning, found himself distant from the scene that would expose his involvement. His absence served as a haunting reminder of the disconnection between his fame and the sinister reality that unfolded on his Virginia property, leaving a void where accountability should have been stood. In a decisive moment of reckoning, law enforcement agencies descended upon the Bad News Canal's property, armed with the weight of evidence and a solemn duty to rescue the innocent souls trapped within. The raid, meticulously planned and executed, aimed to expose the dark underbelly of Michael Vick's dogfighting ring, revealing a world mired in cruelty and suffering. As dawn broke on that fateful day, the air crackled with tension. Police vehicles and animal welfare organizations swarmed the premises. Their collective determination baffled. Armed with search warrants, they breached the barriers that once shielded the secrets of the canals, exposing the nefarious activities that had transpired within. Inside, a chilling scene awaited them. Makeshift fighting pits cruelly constructed stood as sinister reminds of battles waged within. Rows of dilapidated doghouses, once the only homes these animals had known, now stood as a haunting symbols of neglect and torment. Amidst the chaos, a chorus of barks and howls pierced the air, a symphony of despair and longing. 
Authorities, accompanied by veterinarians and animal behavior experts, move methodically through the premises, assessing the physical and psychological well-being of each dog. Yet amidst the darkness, rays of hope emerged. Hidden within the confines of this hellish domain were survivors, dogs who had clung fiercely to life despite their ordeal. Each rescue was a moment of triumph, a testament to the unwavering dedication of those involved in the operation. It was a collective effort to provide solace and care to those victims, offering a glimmer of humanity amidst the surrounding horror. The raid on the Bad News Canal's property was a turning point, a decisive blow against the darkness that had thrived within its walls. It was a testament to the tireless efforts of law enforcement, animal welfare organizations, and the enduring power of compassion. The significance of that day would resonate far beyond the confines of those acres, sparking a movement for change and inspiring a society to confront the realities of animal cruelty head on. What are some misconceptions that people may have about animal cruelty and how can we address them? So I think the most important thing um, to understand is that Obviously, there are um, legal prescriptions around animal cruelty, um, and obviously there's also um, social concerns around that. Um, I, I don't know in terms of um, misperceptions. I think most people uh, in our society recognize that cruelty to animals is a horrible, horrible uh, behavior in addition to being a crime, um, but it also... Uh, has been shown to be a um, uh, a symptom of a larger problem in which many people who perpetrate animal cruelty um, often are involved in other behaviors that are criminally and socially uh, inappropriate. Um, uh, my next question Hi. was, what is your role in preventing animal cruelty? So the Regional Animal Protection Society, uh, in addition to providing uh, direct care to animals uh, and their people, um, we engage in education, advocacy, and outreach through which we educate the public about the responsibilities uh, for caring for animals, and we also um, receive animals who have been um, mistreated uh, or uh, have been neglected. And so we ensure that they are rehabilitated and uh, that they live out their lives to the best of their ability. What's your opinion on like some of the root causes of animal cruelty and what steps can we take to address these underlying issues? Yeah, I mean, I, I think in some ways um, that's a question for a psychiatrist or a psychologist. Um, you know, we work with animals, and, and so the motivations um, that drive people to behave in ways that are cruel to animals, um, that sort of, that's a human problem. We, we, our organization, we tend to deal with uh, the animals rather than the people, but obviously we are um, very concerned and involved in um, educating and uh, preparing especially young people to care for animals. So we, um, our objective is to ensure that, uh, that everybody 
um, recognizes that animals deserve to be treated um, with respect and with care. So, um, so we hope to, through education and advocacy, to create a world and a society where animals are treated well because human beings um, behave in the manner they should towards all living creatures. Uh, yeah, I just had a question about your fundraiser that you have. It was, what does your organization do with your proceeds from that fundraiser? So um, our organization uh, has a number of revenue streams. We um, we operate social enterprise thrift stores, and uh, we have um, a not-for-profit community-owned animal hospital, which generates revenue as well as caring for the animals in our uh Cat Sanctuary and at the RAPS Adoption Center. Um, and then uh, we also, um, you know, have, gen we generate revenue through grant applications and through support from the public. So we also, um, on June 10th this year, for example, we're having a gala celebration, uh, our first one in five years because of COVID, we haven't been able to do it. Um, and so these revenues are all. Uh, invested in saving and improving the lives of animals through the various services that we provide through uh, our uh, RAPS Cat Sanctuary, which is the largest in Canada, and through the RAPS Adoption Center, where we um, uh, we unite animals with their forever homes, and through our fostering network, where we uh, we prepare uh, animals who maybe need socialization or medical attention to prepare for the next phase of their lives. Um, and through our uh, veterinary hospital, which pr has provided in the last five years uh, more than $1.5 million in partially and fully subsidized care to animals in households with low incomes or who are facing other challenges. So all of our revenues, um, whether they are uh, raised through our social enterprises or through donations or through fundraising events, uh, all go into um, our various uh, programs that save and improve the lives of animals. How is I, as an individual, and how can individuals and communities take action to support animal welfare and combating you know, such events, horrible events like dog fighting and other forms of animal cruelty. Yeah. So I think um, there's so many, so many ways to, to be involved because organizations like ours, um, we depend on um, individuals and organizations in the community to for everything that we do. And so, um, you know, we have a relatively small staff team uh, and, and then we have dozens, hundreds of volunteers who provide individualized care to all the animals um, that come to us. And so um, we depend on volunteers, and that's a way that so many people can have a real impact, no matter what their income levels are. Um, if, if somebody has a few hours a week to devote to an animal rescue organization, it just makes an just an incredible difference in the lives of animals. Um, obviously, uh, if somebody is in a position to donate money, um, there are so many good causes, uh, including ours, uh, that are doing work with animals. Um, and then there are sort of the, the macro issues, like um, 
you know, when there's an election or in between elections, talk to your elected officials about ensuring that um, matters that are important for animals are also important for people and the people who represent them. Um, in fact, right now, the, the government of British Columbia is just now considering changes to legislation that would recognize animals not as chattel, as not, not as property like a piece of furniture, but as living sentient members of the family so that when, um, when a family court, when a judge uh, is looking at a situation in which a family is dissolving when there's a divorce or something, um, that a family pet is viewed um, as the living entity that it is instead of being viewed as property like, uh, like you know, a piece of furniture or something that is owned and that the best interest of the animal is the thing that is considered when determining the, the fate of the, of the animal. Um, so there's, there's a whole bunch of ways that people can be involved, but I think one of the most important is just being aware um, of the, the, the role that animals play in our families, households, neighborhoods, and communities in making, making us happier, healthier, and, um, uh, and ensuring that we as a society continue to recognize the importance of animals and the right that animals have to be treated properly and with respect and with love. What are some of the most common forms of animal cruelty that you've encountered in your work? Um, so I think people can imagine, I mean, neglect is, um, is I think probably the most common form of abuse and it is often not a, um, it is not necessarily active abuse, but the, uh, sort of the withholding of, uh, the needs that an animal needs to thrive, including medical care, adequate food, proper shelter, um, one of the things that we advocate for and, and most animal organizations advocate for um, is to um, to make it uh, the law that you cannot leave an animal to live outdoor uh, a, a domestic animal like a cat or a dog to live outdoors all year round um, there There have been some fundamental differences in or, or changes in societal attitudes toward animals in the last generation or two. And, um, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, it wasn't uncommon for people to have a pet dog or a pet cat that lived outdoors 24 hours a day all year round. Um, that's not acceptable. It wasn't acceptable then. Um, but social attitudes somehow accepted that that was something that we would put up with. Today, we don't put up with that. However, legislation has not followed suit. And um, in, in many cases, in some cases, um, there are, uh, you know, cats and dogs um, who are um, not homeless, but are left outside all year round. We don't think that's acceptable. Um, but legislation um, does not exist yet to outlaw that at the same time um, there are cases now that is not to say that if an animal were obviously uh, imperiled by living outdoors that the le current legislation could it could be imp implemented 
to seize that animal to um, to ensure that it does receive the care that it needs. But there is no explicit legislation at this point that says that you cannot leave your dog out in the backyard 24-7 all year round. Uh, that's something that we would like to change. Okay. Can you discuss the role of animal rights organizations and advocates in bringing attention to the issue of dog fighting and other acts of animal cruelty throughout the greater Vancouver area? I I don't know of, and I haven't heard of actual um, dog fighting in Metro Vancouver in recent years. Um, we have legislation in British Columbia that prohibits any animal cruelty and dog fighting, provoking dogs and raising dogs to, to fight each other is one of the most inhumane behaviors that you could imagine. And so... Um, so that falls very, very clearly under prohibited um, behaviors under existing laws. Um, and so um, so we have legislation in place if if something like that were to were to come to light. Uh, and so there's no question that um, in any interpretation of existing law that dog fighting would be a prohibited activity. Um, the role of animal organizations like ours uh, is to just continually inculcate in young people and people of all ages uh, respect for animals and their their inherent right to safety and well-being. Uh, and hopefully we can create a society where something like that would never even be an issue because people would be raised with the respect for uh, all species that they would never it would never cross their mind to be involved in something like dog fighting so that's kind of the role that any animal organization um, should be taking on that front education awareness um, and speaking even more broadly just the the creation of a society where um, we have respect for all people and all animals what lessons can be learned from previous acts of violence towards animals, and how can they be applied to prevent similar incidents in the future? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there are unfortunately in, um, in recent history some horrific uh, cases that we know of, and because of the, the incident in Virginia a couple of years ago with a famous individual, um, that got a lot of publicity because uh, there was a famous person who was involved in that. Um, probably you can assume that when you hear about a, a terrible situation like that where uh, a famous person is involved, you can probably assume that there are lots more cases where a famous person wasn't involved um, and so you never heard about it. Um, so in some ways, um, at least there is education around that, uh, around that issue because uh, of the media awareness that was raised by the case. Um, these, these terrible, inhumane actions, um, I, I think it's safe to say that a lot of us probably didn't even know that such horrible things were, were happening until it came out in the news uh, five or six years ago with this with this individual who was involved. And so in that respect, I think maybe it's a wake-up call for people um, to realize, you know, we may care for our 
uh, the pets in our household, in our families. Um, but it's a reminder that there are animals in the world, even in our own um, communities, who are not cared for. And we need to take individual and collective action to commit ourselves to ensuring that every animal is cared for and has the life that it deserves. And that means, you know, making sure that the animals that are in our circles are cared for, but also ensuring that the people that we entrust uh, in our society, the people that we elect at the federal, provincial, and municipal levels, um, and the people who educate uh, young people, um, that at every step in the process that we consider the impact of policies on animals and that animals and their protection and their welfare um, are things that we consider and that we um, we prioritize so that so that when there are um, incidents like this we learn from them and commit ourselves to a society where those sorts of things don't happen but in the meantime they are happening and we need to be vigilant whenever anything like that um, is happening and if we suspect something now this is another thing that um, there have been cases where um, we as an organization depended on neighbors we had um, a case where there were um, there was a colony of cats that were living in a house and uh, and they had been basically abandoned by people who had left the home and uh, it was a neighbor who let us know so we need to keep an eye on our neighborhood too and if we think that they're there is an animal or or a number of animals in our neighborhood who are not being proper for it. We should know, we should keep an eye on them and we should, uh, we should know who to contact in the event that there are, um, there need to be interventions to ensure that the animal is cared for. Now, on to your dog fighting news of the episode. Did you know that the Bad News Canals facility has been now turned into an animal rehab zone? 